play around with it. This is Wicket's World with Mike Wicket. From the Bally Bet Sportsbook App Studio. Get social features, casino rewards, and exclusive games in one betting app. Happy Friday to you. Busy, busy show. Rob Domovsky from ESPN.com is going to join me to talk Packers at the back end of this hour. That's at 1245. We obviously have to talk about maybe the biggest college football game in the country. We'll get to that. And it could be a make-or-break game for the Iowa State Cyclones. We'll get to that coming up in a bit. But I do want to jump right in and welcome in our guest. She is back for the second time. And a lot of stuff has changed about the Dallas Cowboys since we last chatted with Kelsey Charles. Bloggingtheboys.com. Check out her podcast, Girls Talking Boys, and follow her on Twitter at Kelsey underscore Charles. Kelsey, thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it. When you and I last spoke in like June or whatever you were on the show last we kind of laughed at the Cowboys and said, ah, the defense can't get any worse. Surprisingly, it's become one of the best defenses in football. How did this happen so quick? Mike, I, I, it's funny you asked me this question because last night I did a show where we did a progress report based on our preseason predictions of how this team was going to fare and I could not have been more wrong if I tried. <laughs> and honestly, I was happily eating my slice of humble pie and my words on the side because you know what? This defense has been, dare I say, electric at times. <laughs> yeah, it, it has. Um, have they erected a statue of Dan Quinn yet in Dallas? I mean, we're, we're close, man. Like, I'm telling you, Dan Quinn has been the catalyst this team needs. These coordinators are exciting. Between him and Kellen Moore, I think they're going to see some head coaching offers on the table if this trajectory still continues this way for this team. I'll be honest with you. He's, he's, he brings this cultural element to the squad. He's literally in practice last week with a helmet on, going through with the D-linemen, some of their moves and some of the ways that Bill, Bill Belichick, his team tackles and trying to prepare them, like actually in the trenches with his team. And these guys play really hard for him. And it's awesome to see. I'll also say this. You've got guys like Anthony Brown, who everyone was like, ah, I mean, he's, a, he's just another guy, right? A jag. He's got two interceptions on the year. Trayvon Diggs is playing out of his mind. Literally, this man is letting these guys just completely be unleashed and play aggressive. And it's been really fun to watch. Some guys are just great coordinators. I, I like to think that, you know, Norv was a great coordinator, not a great head sure. coach. Dan Quinn might be that guy. I don't know about Kellen Moore yet, but Dan Quinn might be that guy that, you know, was a failed experiment when he was in Atlanta. He was a great coordinator up in Seattle. He could be a great coordinator. Obviously, the returns are good in Dallas. Does he seem like that guy to you? Yeah, you know, it's funny you ask that because I kind of feel that way myself. And you mentioned, like, Seattle. You can't get much better than the Legion of Doom. Yeah. I mean, in, in general, though, his roots are back with the defensive line. And you've seen what he's been able to do with guys like Osa Odigizua. Like, this is a man who literally we did not even have him in the picture in terms of a guy that would be drafted. And now he's out here becoming a regular name on this team. Randy Gregory, we knew the upside was there, but he's just performing out of control. He's making the number 94 relevant again. So I, I kind of feel like, to your point, he thrives in this environment where he can really grab hold of like a, a, a portion of the team. 
but maybe the whole entire management of it just wasn't his shtick. Talking to Kelsey Charles, you can read her work at bloggingtheboys.com. Check out her podcast, Girls Talking Boys, and follow her on Twitter at Kelsey underscore Charles. She's joining us here on ESPN Des Moines. You know, there's a lot of talk about, and I, we're going to get to Dak and, and Zeke and this crazy offense, but there's all this talk that they're winning in spite of Mike McCarthy. Speaking of guys who aren't great head coaches, but great coordinators. No, I kid. Are they winning because of Mike McCarthy, in spite of Mike McCarthy? Is this an issue the national media is just bringing up because it's the national media? Yeah, I mean, it's funny you say that because the, the whole narrative around Mike McCarthy, especially when he left Green Bay, was that he just had all of these issues with Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, yeah, he won the big game, but you know, people were kind of calling him a bit fraudulent at times. And then... Last year he comes in and he's straight football guy, and we all saw how that went, and it just was not great. But at the same time, I feel like what Mike's done a good job of is empowering his staff to do their jobs. So ultimately, Kellen Moore is a genius, but everything starts and ends with Mike McCarthy. So you have to give him some credit where credit is due. He is being a good manager of these guys in the team. I won't say he's managing the clock wisely, but that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I really just think that he's got the right pieces of the building. He talked about that in terms of how he views drafting players, getting the right players in the building on the team, and then, you know, forming your, your plans from there. I feel like that's the approach he's taken in terms of staffing, too, and he's kind of just letting these people run their own shows and trying to piece things together where they need to be woven a little bit tighter and otherwise letting them run and do their thing. You know, he's an offensive mind, obviously, you know, after watching him so many years in Green Bay, but he's gotten out of the way and letting Kellen Moore call the plays. He has yeah. nothing to do with the defense. His one job is literally to call timeouts correctly. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like you guys in the Dallas media, it's easy to pounce all over that, but he doesn't He's the head coach. Is he a figurehead, or is he really the guy running the team? Well, that's always a conversation point in Dallas in general. Yeah. Because whenever you have Jerry Jones and the Jones family as a part of the mix, you know that your power is going to be limited. You know, it's, it's kind of, that's just part of the gig. Everyone talked about Jason Garrett and how he was kind of a talking head for, for Jerry and things like that. So I think that there is a little bit of that. Um, but I do think that he's maybe more involved than people give him credit for. And he's just one of those guys who is tried and true football guy, isn't trying to be a part of the actual media mix, like doesn't care to get the credit, isn't trying to be public-facing. And so he kind of just rolls with the punches and lets the other people get the shine. So I definitely think that a lot of credit belongs on Mike McCarthy's shoulders. But if we're being honest, the true stars of the show are the people that are employed underneath him who are actually the nuts and bolts of this team. I don't think it's unfair at all to say that the Dallas Cowboys are the surprise team in the NFL. And I, and I know getting Dak back was going to make that offense that much better. We know what a disaster it was after his injury last season. But, I mean, I, you expected the Ravens to be good. You expected the Packers and Bills and, you know, the Chiefs are disappointing. But you expected a lot of these teams that are good to be good I don't think people expected Dallas to be this good. When you, when you and I talked in June, if I would have said Super Bowl, you would have laughed at me. Yeah. No, it's funny you say that because I agree. And, you know, Cowboys fans, every year they're convinced they're going to the Super Bowl. You know, you have 
Connor Williams has a good training camp and we're, we're just ready to send him to the Pro Bowl, right? Like, it's, <laughs> that's just how we roll down here. But, yeah, I mean, I would definitely say they're a surprise. They're one of those teams that they have, they've always had talent in every year. I feel like they've, they've you know, had some good people and good pieces. They just haven't been able to put it together. And they have something special this year. I mean, they have depth. It's unbelievable, quite honestly. I mean, we've done – they've done incredible things without a significant portion of their team. I mean, Michael Gallup is a guy that is actually coming back. And, you know, not to say that he wasn't missed, but when you have a guy like Cedric Wilson who's showing up and making plays, you've got your third and fourth receivers on the team who are typically no-name guys, and, and they're showing up, and, and they can do some things. So – yeah, I mean, they're definitely a surprise. I think this whole NFC is an interesting dynamic right now, too. I mean, I, I feel like one of the big things that's happened this year is Dak has really stepped into his own. I won't go ahead and call him elite, but I feel like you have to put him in that upper echelon conversation with that Patriots game when they gave him, what, like 21 seconds or whatever it was. I, I, I tweeted this. I said, dare I say that Dak Prescott is a quarterback that you don't want to give time to at the end of the game. I mean, it's like it's like Aaron Rodgers. Green Bay fans are always like, oh, well, that was dumb on your part, giving him time to make plays because he's going to just totally go ahead and win the game. Dak did exactly that. So I feel like he's a part of those conversations, and he's a big reason, obviously on top of the defense, but truly why this team has made the leaps and bounds that it has. I just look at the, the, the big five in the NFC, and, and maybe I'm forgetting somebody. I don't know, Tampa, Green Bay, Dallas, the Rams, and Arizona. I feel like yep, you can take yep. those five, shake them up, roll it out, and one of those five is going to win the, the NFC and go to the Super Bowl. And it could be, I can argue any of them, I feel like. And Dallas is the one I didn't expect to be there, but I also didn't expect Dak to become, I'll, I'll call Dak elite if you don't want to put him there yet. But I feel like watching this Dak with that confidence and the just ridiculous amount of weapons that he has, he's thriving. I know. It's funny you bring up those five teams because I was having a conversation with them the other day. Uh, they said, hey, you picked three quarterbacks out of the NFC. Who are you taking? Who are your top ones? And I was like, oh, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> like, obviously, you have to put uh, Kyler who, up there. Who do you pick? Like, That's a great question. Yes. I don't know the answer to that, Mike, because genuinely – you can look at a guy like Stafford, and I feel like if you want to go ahead and add some perspective, like what he's been able to do with that team is pretty incredible. And, and be able to just come out of Detroit and make waves like he has. I mean, if that's not, if that's not an indication of what Detroit does to a player, I mean, I just I don't know. Like, we don't even have to go there. But <laughs> it's, it's a very interesting conversation, and I think that you have to seriously consider putting Dak at the top or towards near the top, at least, of that list. I don't know who I'm going to not include Brady. Am I going to not include Aaron Rodgers, who's won five (laughs) straight? Am I going to not include Kyler Murray? I just that's that's unbelievable. Uh, You're you're, you're close to this situation with Dak and company. I I imagine everyone's in a good mood. You are when you're winning this many football games. But I think we talked about it before. I've never seen the sports world celebrate or come together when Dak got healthy and Dak got paid because everybody was so upset and broken when his foot went sideways. Yeah. I mean, I mean this sincerely. As someone who has been around this team for, gosh, uh, almost a decade now, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I watched Romo go down time and time again, and that was heartbreaking. But the, just the, the charisma 
that Dak brings to the table, the buy-in that he has from the players and the team, this fan base, the genuine nature that he brings to his craft. I mean, I'll tell you, like he's he's one of those guys. If you if you if anyone watched Hard Knocks, and he's playing uh, he's playing games with the, the mailroom guy, Jonathan. That's authentic. That's real. He's not above anyone. He he takes care of the little people. You know, I'll walk by him or he'll send me a message like happy birthday, like randomly. I mean, who am I to him? Who is who are any of these people to him? And he takes the time out of his day to be like a genuine good person. And I think that's really easy to cheer for. And on top of it, you're not going to find someone who works harder. I mean, the man's literally building a football field in the back of his yard because he wants to get extra reps in. Like, it's incredible. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, I, I definitely, I think that it was warranted. It's merited. And I think the world's kind of holding their breath and, and grateful a little bit for the bye week right now because of the potential injury that we saw with the calf strain. And so everyone's saying, hey, Hopefully you really are going to be good to come back because we just we're we're enjoying the trajectory you're on and the success that you're bringing to this game. Why did Jalen Smith get let go? <laughs> well, that was um, that was a long time in the making. So basically, you know, I think you have to give credit credit to Jalen. I think the narrative around him the last couple of years has been frustration. They haven't he hasn't been able to make tackles and. You talk a lot about him not being able to be as shifty and quick and fast and adjustments, and then he's got all these side deals. And as someone who respects sports marketing, I think it's great, but also it's not as easy to get those deals done successfully when your performance isn't on par on the field. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people were critical of, is that he just wasn't the guy who he was a couple years ago. He's a medical miracle in himself coming back from that injury that he did at Notre Dame. I mean, the fact that this, this medical staff and this scouting team identified took a chance on him and he even came back to the level of play that he did is incredible. But he just, he, he just kind of regressed in recent years. And then, I'll be honest with you, this team wasn't planning to draft a, a linebacker. Obviously, Michael Parsons was on their list, but I don't think they knew the true position flex that that man brings to this team. To be able to come in as a rookie mm. and put your hand on the ground and also rush over the middle is unbelievable. And that's, it's unprecedented. And so I think that's one of the factors. I also think Jabot Cox. Like I don't think they thought they were going to get him. And I also don't think they thought that he was going to have the upside that he's brought to the table thus far. So those couple of factors just made it easy to say, hey, we appreciate your time here. We're done. They tried to deal him out. Also, he had a bit of a, a, a thing in his contract where injury guarantees, and he, he said, hey, listen, like, I'm keeping that in. I'm not going to negotiate with him. So the team said, all right, well, thanks for your time and enjoy your, your play elsewhere. And that was kind of it. Uh, I'll let you go on this one. Uh, today is the 22nd of October. The NFL trade deadline is November 2nd. It's not like <laughs> the NBA or the Major League Baseball trade deadline where everything happens and there's 30 deals. But the NFL trade deadline has been more valuable lately than it has in the past. Is Dallas going to make any sort of acquisition at the deadline? Yeah, it's funny you say that because Jerry Jones went on um, the radio this morning and said, hey, we know this deadline's incoming and we're open. He literally said, we're open for business year-round. Uh, but at the same time, they are in a, a, an interesting position because they do have a lot of guys that are coming back that have, have roster spots to be accounted for. So... Bring it back a Lyle Collins, bring it back a Michael Gallup. You know, you, those are just 
a few of the names of several key players playing back to this team. So, uh, you know, sure, it's something that I think they're always open to conversations. I don't think it's a need right now. I think it's a very unique position to be in. Um, I did kind of throw this out there to my friends the other day, and I said, hey, again, Michael Gallup was a guy who everyone vehemently did not want to trade last year. But now, with the depth that you have on the offensive side of the ball, is this more of a viable option for you? And I think that people are opening up to that idea, but do I think realistically the team's going to do much in terms of trading? No. Can you send Gallup to my Packers, please? <laughs> Listen, I'm fine with that. Like, I, I love Randall Cobb. I'm happy you guys got him. Like, that's a fun, like, reuniting of two guys. Like, Gallup, I'm sure, he's a guy to me where he reminds me, of, like, I would equate him to, like, a Tony Pollard, right? Where they're obviously talented, but it's almost unfair to put them in comparison to some of the players on this team, right? He can go somewhere else and be your, your X or your Y or your number two guy or your number one guy pretty easily. And he's, quite frankly, your number three guy on this team. And when you have guys that have stepped up, like I said, Cedric Wilson is not objectively better than him. But does this team miss Gallup? No. So would he maybe go have some opportunities elsewhere that could make a lot of sense? Yeah, maybe. So it's definitely an interesting conversation to have. Yeah, send him to Green Bay and give Aaron Rodgers another weapon. I would love to see that. Uh, Kelsey, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Fantastic stuff. Bloggingtheboys.com and check out our podcast, Girls Talking Boys. Enjoy the off week, and uh, we'll talk again soon, Kelsey. All right, thanks, Mike. Thank you. Kelsey Charles on Twitter at Kelsey underscore Charles. <laughs> 1021 FM, 1350 ESPN, Des Moines. It's Wicket's World. I'm Mike Wicket. Coming up on Sunday, you can hear the Packers and the Washington football team. We'll have the game for you from ESPN Radio. Joining me right now from ESPN.com, a guy who covers the Green Bay Packers. My friend Rob Domovsky is with us. Rob, appreciate the time so much, my friend. How are you? Good to talk to you again, Mike. Uh, where does I own you, I've always owned you, <laughs> ranked? Uh, where does that rank? for uh, the quotes from Rodgers in his career. Well, I, I, you can't leave out the all of my bleeping life yeah. part of it. Too, I can't was... say that on the radio here. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> you know, I was actually thinking about that on Monday. I mean, we've had like, you know, and they're all different circumstances, but we had the R-E-L-A-X. We had the uh, run the table. Uh, there was one year. where you just said shh. Yes, sure. That was, that's a great one. I forgot about that. Then there was the... There's the beauty, you know, my future is a beautiful mystery. I mean, there, there's all kinds of things. Um, you know, there's the, the, the gif of him throwing the tablet down on the ground uh, when he realized he missed a wide-open receiver and uh, what would have been a last-second touchdown, I think, at Carolina. Uh, it's, it, you know, when you play as long as he does and you're, you're in that spotlight that long, you're bound to say something and do something that the cameras catch. I, I have no idea if he knew that the cameras were going were gonna to be, you know, that close. He's actually complained about that in the past, that microphones have always been too close. But it sure made for uh, an unbelievable story on what was otherwise a pretty uh, milk toast game. You know it's big when Brady mentions it on Sirius yeah. to Jim Gray. Like, it, you, when was, the GOAT talks about it, it's, a, it's huge. That was pretty funny. It definitely was. Uh, but as, as, like, I think even did Brady say, I know a lot of people said, he goes, you know, it's hard to argue with him. He's, he's, he's probably right. <laughs> I think Cole Komet said that a couple of days ago or whatever right. uh, down there in Chicago. And I can, I can tell you this, Mike, as a, as a Chicago native, who, who was, uh, and I was lived in Green Bay and covered the Packers for 25 years, I can tell you that most of my friends down there 
while they hate Favre and they they hated Favre and they hate Rodgers, they're sure jealous of of those guys, and, and especially after what they've been through. And I, I, the stat came up last week where Justin Fields was the 20th different starter to start against the Packers, just against the Packers. I'm not talking about just starting every any game. 20th different guys since Favre took over, and it was Favre, Brett Hundley, and, and Rodgers against the Bears, and that's it. That's unbelievable. It, it just adds to the, the insanity that is this, this Packers quarterback hierarchy over the last 20-plus years or whatever. You know, Rob, you had some interesting words. I, I know they probably <laughs> caught some people's attention because the NFL trade deadline is coming up, and you and I share this same sentiment that perhaps, and we all make mistakes, right, Rob? I make mistakes, you make mistakes. If by chance the Packers did what you Hi, not with inside information, I know, but you said, no, hey, just, here's a shot in the dark. Right. If they trade Jordan Love at the trade deadline, and my suggestion is maybe to New Orleans for Michael Thomas, but if they trade Love at the deadline, is that them admitting they make a, made a mistake and there's something down the road for Rodgers to it, stick and not, retire? Yeah, it's not. The, the mistake wouldn't be admitting that Jordan Love's not any good because we don't know that yet. The mistake would be, and I think already is, underestimating just how it would impact Rodgers and affect his mindset. That was something they either mistook, didn't care, or, you know, just underestimated. But And, and maybe it's they didn't care. Maybe they didn't care. Maybe they didn't care if it, if it PO'd Rodgers and, and he wanted out of here in two years. But... I still don't think the draft pick necessarily is a mistake, either the player or the position, because if you're Brian Gutekunst and you're coming into this job in 2018 and Rodgers is coming off, you know, uh, an injury in 17, uh, you know, it played poorly in 18, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you know that you've got to get the – well, first of all, you know you have to get the quarterback because your previous uh, – your predecessors, Ted Thompson got, got Rodgers and Ron Wolf got – Favre, and, and if Brian Gutekunst doesn't get the next quarterback, it doesn't matter if they win a Super Bowl this year or next year with Rodgers. His legacy is not going to be that. It's going to be, did you keep quarterback uh, uh, hierarchy and, 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 and just unbelievable quarterback play going for another 10 years? So I think that's ultimately why he drafted Jordan Love, is because he knows that, that he's going to have to find the next one. And you know, maybe he did it early because it would give him two shots at it. If, if Love isn't the guy, then maybe they get another crack at it a couple of years later. But, look, the assignment was, you know, pick a, team, pick a player on the team you cover who <laughs> could be traded. And to be honest with you, there's really no – I mean, like, I couldn't come up with anybody. They're, they're, they're so injured that they really – it's not like they have, you know, an extra cornerback or an extra offensive lineman or an extra running back that they're not using to get something for. Love was really the only guy I could come up with. And it would make sense, you know, if, if let's say, you know, my, my hypothetical is, is Thomas down in, in New Orleans. It gives the Saints their quarterback for the future. The Packers, I know people think that Michael Thomas's contract is outrageous. It's actually not. You know, if Devontae moves on long term, it could be a thing with Michael Thomas in Green Bay. So who, who, who knows? Um, one of the things Rodgers talked about during that, I'm sure you enjoyed, press conference before the season began, and that was about, you know, players being jettisoned out and, right. at, you know, he's not being uh, talked to about these, you know, acquisitions they make or don't make. But they had Whitney Merciless about 24 hours ago. They had Jalen yep. Smith. They had the, the corner, Razul, off the, uh, the, the, the Raiders practice squad. Is that out of Gudikin's want? Is that out of necessity? Does Rodgers have any say in these moves? They're all on the other side of the yeah. ball, though. 
It is it is unusual because they don't typically do this, but they've had so many injuries, which has also been unusual. I mean, think about the last two years. They've been basically almost injury-free, especially LaFleur's first year. I think Devontae Adams missing like four games with a I think it was turf toe. It was about the only injury of any significance they had that year. And he came back and, and, and still played, you know, great in the, down the stretch, and, and he was fine for the playoffs. So it's probably that. Um, I don't know. I, you know, it probably doesn't hurt Rodgers' mood that they're bringing in some veteran guys because, look, there's not a lot of guys here that are even his age. I mean, like, that was the thing I, I noticed when Favre was at the end of his time here. He said to me once, he goes, you know, when they brought Rodgers in, he goes, look, uh, Rogers is closer to my daughter's age than he is to me. You know, like that's just the uh, that's just the way it, it comes when these quarterbacks last, you know, sixteen, seventeen years. So, you know, I, I just I think there's some of that. I really think the the bigger thing that he was talking about in that mic and, and you know that that airing of the grievances um, was that you know it was guys that 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 they got rid of perhaps what he thought was too early. You know, Charles Woodson, uh, Micah Hyde, Casey Hayward, Jordy Nelson, guys that he thought you know, still should have been here, but the Packers, for one reason or another, Julius Peppers was in that too, uh, you know, a bunch of guys uh, that ended up going on to play elsewhere with varying degrees of success, mind you. I mean, some of those guys, Rodgers would have been wrong about, you know, like he would have been wrong if they brought back uh, Jordy Nelson or, or, you know, just using him as an example, because he really didn't do much after he left here. But the fact of the matter is he wants to be more involved and he wants his voice to be heard more. And, I asked him in that press conference, do you think you've got assurances that any of those things will happen? And he just looked at me and he goes, Rob, I don't know. And I don't know that we still know if he's gotten those assurances. Rob Domofsky, ESPN.com, joining me here on ESPN Des Moines. It's Wicket's World. I'm Mike Wicket. Twitter was all abuzz with David Bakhtiari's return. How quickly do, can we actually see the all-pro left tackle play for this team? I thought all along um, there was no way he plays before Halloween, and this is before the schedule even came out. Uh, he got injured on New Year's Eve, and Halloween would have been exactly 10 months. The Packers, Dr. McKen- Dr. Pat McKenzie's never put an ACL guy out there uh, sooner than 10 months to play in a game. Now, they practice, but not play in a game. Now, they don't have a game on Halloween because they have the Thursday night game next week. Halloween is a Sunday. So he just came back to practice this week. He's not going to play this week. Next week's a Thursday game. They don't really practice on a Thursday game. They have walkthroughs. Who's so not going to play then? Um, so I would say November seventh at Kansas City is, is likely that Bakhtiari plays. And, and really, like I'm not saying they don't need him because he's probably the best ta- left tackle in the league. But they've done remarkably well without him. So you might as well just ta- be extra cautious and give him, you know, extra weeks to uh, uh, you know to, to get that thing right. The longer you go sitting out after ACL surgery, the, the better it's going to be, the stronger it's going to be. So I would suspect that not the next two games, even though he is eligible to play, I don't think it's going to happen until uh, the third game from now. I know a couple of years ago, Fire Dom was trending. Last year, of course, Fire Petten was trending. After week one, Fire Joe Barry was trending. But statistically, they're the sixth best defense in the National Football League. How did Barry take a good defense and make it a top six defense? Well, here's what he did, and I think it's an interesting thing. Um, last year under Patton, it was bend but don't break, right? They'd give up all these big plays in the middle of the field, and then they'd get down to the red zone, and they would hold pretty well. I think they were top ten in red zone defense. This year, it's the other way around. I mean, they'll give up, um, they won't give up any big plays, but as soon as you get into the red zone, it's touchdown city. 
the, the other teams, Mike, have been in the red zone 15 times this year. They've gotten 15 touchdowns. Like, not even a field goal. Like, it, that's just that's the part where it's it's bad. Um, and I think that's where the where you're seeing the criticism of Joe Barry. Uh, now they've had a ton of penalties down there. Uh, the pass interference in the end zone, you know, last week at Chicago sets up a first and goal at the one. I don't know who, you know, is going to get a first and, or is going to stop you four times from the one yard line. But the bottom line is, is this is historically bad red zone defense. There's never in the last 40 years been a team that has gone six games into a season and not gotten a red zone stop. And, and a field goal counts as a red zone stop. Like, wow. That counts. So uh, they've got some work to do in that area of the field. Hey, Rob, appreciate the time, man. I got to fly, but uh, thank you so much for coming on. Enjoy this one with the Washington football team, and uh, I'll talk with you again down the road. You got it, Mike. We'll be seeing you. He's one of the best in the business, Rob Domovsky from ESPN.com. You can always follow him at Rob Domovsky. Joining us here on the hotline, talking about the Green Bay Packers as they get the Washington football team again. A game you can hear on Sunday at noon right here on ESPN Des Moines. Thanks to Rob. Thanks to Kelsey Charles for joining us as well. Check out her work at bloggingtheboys.com. If you missed anything, we'll podcast this later over at ESPN.com. ALCS game number six tonight right here on ESPN Des Moines. My thanks to Kira, our producer. My name is Mike Wickett. This has been Wickett's World. Have yourself a great weekend. We'll do it again next week.